This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Have a seat. How are, we, how are we? Hey, that was decent. That was decent. I appreciate that. I like that a lot. All right, so today we're going to be in Mark chapter 6. Jesus feeds the 5,000. If you've been around church for any length of time, you have heard this story. Um, and, and so that's okay. God's word is still living and active today. Um, and, and unless you have mastered trusting God, then this is still good for us. Um, and so, because that's God's point here today. God is inviting the disciples and he is inviting you and me because we are listening to his word to trust him because nothing is impossible for him. Like Jesus wants the disciples to get and God wants us to get to the place where we fully trust him. Whatever he says, we trust his word because nothing is impossible for him. We're all the time uh, trying to, to teach our kids. You can ask them if you want. Um, we're saying, hey, trust us. It will go better for you, right? Like, like trust what we're telling you. Do what we're telling you. It, it will result in, in, in a better outcome for you, right? Like, like we have been there. We, we see what you're stepping into, right? Like I, I was a middle school boy. We're barely human at that time. Molly, you don't like, so yeah, you don't need a boyfriend in middle school because they're barely humans, right? Michaela, you're in high school. You still don't need a boyfriend because although we're, they're humans now, they're stupid. Um, and so they're stupid humans. I say that as one, um, right? Like, like, so it just takes some time for us. It's fine. Um, but it's like, trust us. Like we, 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 it will go better for you, right? Like we see the danger that's up ahead or, hey, trust us, you will actually, while it may not seem like you have a lot of freedom now, the more you trust us and do what you say, that freedom will increase, 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 increase. But if you don't trust us, right, it decreases. And so we're, we're telling them all the time, trust us. Like it will go better for you. And that is what God's aim is for us. He is inviting you and me today into a thriving, loving relationship with him and with others. And the way into that relationship and the way to walk in that relationship is through trust. Taking him at his word, believing what he says, that what he says he will do, that he's good for it. And that even when we're like, that's, the way I see this going down is not gonna go well. And God's like, trust me, it, like, I've got the best in mind. Even when there may be hard circumstances, trust me, it's good. And so that's God's invitation for us today in Mark chapter six, is an invitation to to trust. And so we're gonna pick up in verse 30. It says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught, right? So we, we talked a couple weeks ago about how Jesus, he calls and he sends and he empowers the disciples. And the response of a disciple, a follower of Jesus is, so they went. Jesus said, go, so they went. So right, if we're gonna follow Jesus, if you're here today and you're like, I'm a Christian, I'm a disciple of Jesus, then what we have said is, I will follow you whatever you say. So if Jesus says jump, we jump. If Jesus says go, we go. If Jesus says don't do that, we don't do that. If Jesus says do that, we do that. That that the call of a disciple is to follow wherever he leads us. And the great thing is he empowers us with his spirit to do what he calls us to do. 
Right, and so Jesus, he calls, he sends, and he empowers the disciples. And then we see John the Baptist who gets his head cut off because he's following Jesus. And, and Jesus is like, hey, sometimes your circumstances around you are not gonna be so pleasant, but don't worry, I'm good for it. There is a better home for you. This is short and temporary, and the life of faith today will result in a better life in the future. Right, and then it says, the apostles return to Jesus, right? So that kind of concludes that story of, hey, go and do what I tell you to do, even at the risk of, of your life. And they come back and they, they tell him what they had done. Verse 31, and he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. So this is not the main point of, of the text, but I just wanna make a couple points here. One, Christian ministry is exhausting, right? Like, it, like it, it is physically exhausting because to, to minister like Jesus is to die to ourselves and to seek first God's glory and the good of the other above self. So Christian ministry is selflessly dying to self and lifting up the preference of, of others. If we do that, we're going to find ourselves tired at times, right? Like we're gonna find ourselves worn down because we're constantly pouring ourselves out for the good of others. But also, it is good to get away and rest. Like self-care is, is a godly, necessary thing. It's important to take care of yourself. First Corinthians 6 says that we are not our own. We've been bought with a price and that, that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. Therefore, we are to honor God with our bodies. So if we've trusted Christ, the Spirit of God lives in us, thus making us the temple of God because the Spirit of God is in us and we are commanded to honor God with our bodies, to take care of the temple that God has given us, right? And so self-care is important. It is okay to, to rest. It is godly to say no sometimes, right? So, so often we say yes to everything and our calendar is full from beginning to end. And saying yes to everything is not the way of Jesus. Sometimes the way of Jesus is to say no, to get away and rest, to take care of yourself so that we can be the best version of ourselves to give in service to others. If all we do is go and go and go and go and say yes and say yes and say yes and say yes, we're eventually going to wear ourselves down to the point where we can no longer serve others. God commands us, Sabbath, once a week, just like he did, a full day of rest. Let's be honest, our American culture hates that idea. Like we, it is, it is, we have to teach ourselves to stop and to rest. Anybody else with me? Like I'll be resting and in my head I'm feeling guilty because I'm like, I should be reading. I should be studying. I should be doing this, right? And God's like, hey, hey, I'm still in control. I got you, man. Just take a break, right? So God commands us to, to Sabbath. He commands us to take care of ourselves. Exercise is important because it, it helps us create a temple that can best be used for the glory of God. So self-care is essential. It's godly. We have to ask the question, though, am I 
practicing self-care ultimately so I can be the best version of myself for others or so that I can be the best version of myself for me. All right, like self-care is not, man, I'm gonna hit the gym because I wanna look ripped. You know, like, like I wanna hit the gym because I wanna be healthy versus I really hope people will notice the calf raises I've been doing, you know? That's why I wear pants because I, I got these little calves. I don't know what to do with them. It's like, gosh. <laughs> Stephanie's laughing at me. Self-care, right? Uh, you know, if, if I'm like, I gotta go home, I gotta take a nap. Okay, naps, are, man, naps are good. Like God, God loves a good nap. But if I'm just being lazy and I just really don't wanna help or I just, you know, like, like we have to ask the question, am I pursuing self-care for me? Like for my own selfishness or am I pursuing self-care so that I can best give myself away? But, but be clear, self-care, rest, taking care of yourself is important, is godly, right? And so Jesus, he sees that they are exhausted. And so he's like, hey boys, let's go take a break. Like let's go take a breath, rest, relax, slow down for a second. But that doesn't happen. Verse 33, now many saw them going and recognized them and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw them, saw a great crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Question, how do you respond when someone or something interrupts you from your plans? What's your initial reaction when you've got a plan and someone interrupts it or something interrupts it? Even more so, what if you're hangry, right? You're hungry because you've been serving and giving and you've been going above and beyond. You haven't had a chance to eat a sandwich, you know? And so you're hungry and you're tired or, or you know, and then you're like, finally, get to go home, I get to go sit down, kick my feet up, eat something, take a break, rest, I deserve it, and then an interruption comes in, right? Then Mike is like, hey, we need some teardown help. We need some help at the church, set up a teardown. Like, we need, like, how do you respond when it's like, I just wanna go get some lunch. I don't wanna stick around, like, I just wanna go get some lunch. Or you're like, I'm gonna go home and have a good weekend, and your neighbor's like, hey, I really need some help moving. Gosh, like that one, I hate moving. You know, how do you respond when someone or something interrupts your plans, interrupts your plans for rest when you're already, to, when you've already been doing so much and they, they interrupt it. Jesus responds with compassion. He doesn't respond with complaining. That's what I do. Man, I may do it, but Stephanie's gonna hear me complain about it and be like, can you, oh, I'm so freaking tired. I just want to take a nap, you know? The kids are like, hey, come tuck us in. I'm like, tuck yourself in, you know? Rub your own back, right? I'm tired. I don't want to give, so I complain, right? Jesus responds with compassion. He, he, he feels for these people. They're, they're lost. They're hungry. They're, they're wandering. They're looking for an answer, and so Jesus doesn't see a problem. He sees people. He doesn't see a burden. He sees brokenness. He has compassion for these people. How often, I mean, I, Here's what I do. If I'm in this scenario and I'm going for rest after a long time of ministry and a crowd starts coming, I'm like, don't make eye contact. Just look down. If you don't see them, they don't see you and everything's good, right? Like that's my, that's my fleshly reaction. 
You get the call, I'm just gonna put that down. Um, I didn't see it, I didn't get the call. I don't know what happened, right? Like my flesh wants to turn inward. It wants to care for myself first. And Jesus, he, he has compassion. He has compassion for those who are, who are lost and are looking and are, are desperate for an answer. Look, it is okay to say no. Like, let me be very clear. It is okay, and sometimes it is the most godly answer to say no, but you have to answer before the Lord. Am I saying no here for me or for selfish ends? Or, or am I saying no so that I can actually take care of myself so I can give better later? Like, we've got to answer that question before the Lord. There's an interruption that comes in. It's going to come in today. It's going to come tomorrow because interruptions are everywhere. How we respond, am I reflecting Christ in the way I'm responding to this interruption? Am I leading with compassion and mercy? If I say, yes, is it God honoring or is it really just trying to make sure that everybody likes me and I'm promoting myself as able to get everything done? If I say no, is it so that I can give myself away or is it because I'm just lazy and I don't wanna help somebody? We're like, we've gotta answer that question because interruptions will come. Ministry's exhausting, it's okay to take a break, interruptions will come. We've gotta ask that question, is my answer ultimately for myself or is it so that I can honor God and give myself away? Sometimes it's good to say yes, sometimes it's good to say no. Jesus responds with compassion and praise God that he did. Because you and I were the wandering people looking for a shepherd, right? You and I were the people who were desperate for an answer. You and I were the crowd that were like, hey, I, I wanna get on board with this. And Jesus, he didn't see a problem with us. He saw a people and he had compassion on us. So praise God that Jesus leads with compassion because you and I are the recipients of that. I mean, I think some people need to hear that today, that Jesus moves with compassion for you. He's not sitting there pulling out the record sheet and being like, oh, again, they messed up. Oh. He has compassion, he sees us lost, he sees us searching, and he comes and he brings himself as the answer. Praise God that Jesus moves with compassion. And by his spirit, we have the same ability as well to lead with compassion. So Jesus sees a crowd. He sees that they're lost, and so he starts teaching. And he's telling them how they can have life in his kingdom, that God's come to bring a better kingdom, that they were living life for themselves in their own kingdom, but God comes to bring a better way, a better kingdom, and that they can have life with that kingdom as well. That's what he's teaching here. We see this in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This story is accounted in all of them. And it says that Jesus is teaching about the kingdom. He's also healing the sick. Right? We've talked about this, that sharing the gospel is both a proclamation and a demonstration. It's one thing if you share the love of Jesus, but you aren't loving to somebody else. Well, that's going to be a really difficult sell. Like, hey, man, Jesus forgives you, but do you forgive me? No. Right? Like, it, the sharing of the gospel is both a proclamation and a demonstration. We, we speak of it, and our lives are called to match it up. And so Jesus speaks of healing and life that is found in the kingdom of God, and then he demonstrates healing and life to the people. 
And so we're called as well to proclaim the good news and also to live out the good news with those around us. It's never just one or the other. I think a lot of times we also want to be like, I'll just live it out. We also have to speak it. We, we live it, but then we speak it. It's both a proclamation and a demonstration. And so Jesus, he's got this crowd of people and, and he's teaching them and he's healing. In verse 35, it says, when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, hey, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? So there's a crowd of people. We'll see at the end of this, it's, it's 5,000 men, which means there's also children and probably women. We know there's children because it's a child, a boy who brings Jesus some bread and fish in a second. And so there's over 5,000 people gathered around listening to Jesus. And it says in Mark that they're in a desolate place. That means there's no food around them. There's no water around them, right? Like there's not a food truck over there where they're like listening to Jesus and they're ordering their tacos at the same time, right? They're, they're out in the middle of nowhere all day long. And so food and water, man, it's running low, but they're hanging out. And the disciples are like, we got a situation on our hand. Like you got a mob of people who are hungry and tired and thirsty. Jesus, let's call it a day, man. It's been good. Like that's their suggestion. Jesus, let's send them home. It's, it's been a good day. They need to go eat and drink, take, you know, go to sleep. We'll start up again in the morning, right? Like a really rational and logical suggestion. There's nothing in and of itself wrong with the suggestion. Honestly, it's what you and I would probably suggest. Hey, let's call it a night. Let's get some rest and come back here in the morning. And so they're, they're looking at these circumstances. They're looking at what is right in front of them. You've got 5,000 plus people, no food, no water. They're away from town, so they can't easily get it. It's been a good day, Jesus. Let's send them home, right? That, that is 1,000% what I would say. Let's call it a day. Jesus responds to them. You give them something to eat. Right, like put yourself in the shoes. 5,000 plus, there's no food around, they're hungry, we'll feed them. Anybody else like, how? Like what do, you, what do you want me to do here? Right, anyone else's wheels start spinning and you're like, I, there's no food carts around. Like, what do you want us to do, Jesus? And they're, they're thinking rationally. They're like, even if we had 200 denarii, that's like over a half year's worth of pay. They're like, even if we had all this money, we went to town, it wouldn't be enough for all these people. So Jesus commands them to do the physically natural impossible. Like, that seems kind of mean. Like, Jesus, you're telling me to do something. I want to follow and obey, how am I supposed to feed 5,000 people with nothing to eat? Anyone else like find yourselves like, okay, that's kind of where you would land too? Okay, a couple, great, that's where I would be. I'd be like, Jesus, I don't know what you want us to do. I, I, we feel this way right now because we're like, we need to buy a house closer to the kids' schools. <laughs> I don't have a million dollars, do you? Nope, like it, literally we can't, like, 
We can't sustain the drop-off and pickup schedule that we're, we're driving, but we also can't afford to buy a house. And I'm like, it's my modern day feed the 5,000. I don't know what to do here. My brain is trying to think rationally. I'm trying to think through like, man, if I sell a kid, like perhaps we could get enough, you know, and, and I, but I don't know which one to sell now, right? And so, you know, you start thinking through these, these scenarios. You're like, what do I do here? Right, they proposed a perfectly rational scenario. There's nothing wrong with the proposal they had. And yet Jesus is like, no, no, you feed them. Why? Why? Why would he say that? Like, why would he not just send them home to go to bed? Right, those are the questions we've got to be asking here. Why would he tell them to do the impossible? If it wasn't that Jesus was trying to teach them to trust him at his word, no matter what. To take him at his word, even when it is humanly and physically impossible, because wait for it, nothing is impossible with God. Sending them home is not a bad solution, right? The disciples problem solved here, great solution. And Jesus says, nope, let's do the impossible. Why? Because he is trying to teach them to trust him no matter what, even with the impossible, because nothing is impossible with God. He's trying to teach them to trust the Lord with all of their heart and to not lean on their own understanding. Hey, let's send them away. It's bedtime. They need food to not lean on their own understanding. Gosh, even if we had 200 denarii, he's trying to teach them to trust him no matter what. Because a scenario was gonna come when they would have to account for all of their sins before a holy God. And Jesus was gonna ask them to trust him with their sins. So he's trying to build this trust that what he says is good. What he says he will do. The relationship that we are called to have with God is through trust. Hebrews 11 says it is impossible to please God without faith. If we don't trust him, we cannot please him, right? Faith is important because without faith, they'll never trust God for the forgiveness of their sins and for the gift of eternal life, right? You, you wanna think outside of human understanding? Let's talk about eternity. Last I checked, none of us have been there. It requires faith and trust. And so Jesus is working to build that trust so that they will trust him not only with this life, but with the life that is to come. Because without faith, we'll never position ourselves to receive the presence and power of God. We've seen that in Mark already. He told the woman, by your faith, you've been healed. We're never gonna see the miracles and power of God if we don't trust him and have faith in him. Because trust is the oxygen of relationships. 
my good friend Lisa Turkhurst. Man, if y'all haven't read her books, I highly recommend it. She's a great writer. She's not really my good friend, but I just like to think that she is because I feel like I really connect with her, right? But, you know, she wrote in one of her Bible studies, trust is the oxygen of human relationships. If you want a, a human relationship to thrive, there has to be trust. They can coexist without trust, but they're not gonna thrive. You've gotta have trust. If you, if you don't have trust, then you're guarded, you're insecure, you're, you're looking over your shoulders, you're uncertain. You're never free to fully be who you're called to be if there's no trust. But if there's trust, man, you're set up to go. That relationship can thrive. You can lean on each other. You, you know that they've got your back. I man, you can swing for the fences because you know that somebody's got your back. Trust is the oxygen of relationship. As much as you and I need oxygen to live, we need trust to thrive in our relationship with God. And so he's working all the time to build this trust in us, that we would take him at his word, that what he says is good for it. That if he says that's the way to life, dadgummit, even though it's going through the valley of the shadow of death, that's the way to life. If he says this is good, even though humanly the circumstances are going to go real bad, I trust by faith that it's good. God is continually working to build our trust in him. That's why he didn't send them home. Because he wants the disciples to know, yeah, of course that's impossible for you, but it's not for me. Come on, let's do this. And so Jesus, he now steps in. He's like, all right, well, I'll step in here, right? Verse 37, no, sorry, verse 38. He said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five loaves and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing and he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And if you've got a paper Bible, like that's the thing, like underline that, whatever, like they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Let's talk about the loaves and fish real quick. Jesus is like, what do we got? What are we working with? And they go out and they find some boy who'd like been on a grocery run, you know, and he, he got caught up in this crowd. And they're like, give me your groceries, kid. Right? And so they take, they take his groceries up to Jesus and there's five loaves and there's two bread. And we saw the end result, right? Like imagine being that boy. Just put yourself in those shoes for a second, right? You're in a crowd of people and, and these disciples, these grown men come up to you and they're like, give me, give me, your, give me, your, give me your food. It's like, it's like being bullied at school, right? Like, they took my lunch money, mom. Right, like, give me, give me the bread and fish, right? Here's the great news. He's gonna go home with more groceries than he knows what to do with, right? Like the end, the conclusion when we trust things in the hand of Jesus is that he takes water and turns it into wine. Not just wine, but the best wine, right? When we trust things into the hands of Jesus, he does the miraculous, he does the impossible. Jesus doesn't need a completed product to accomplish the purpose he wants. He just needs us to give him what we have. Right? Are, are you with it? There's 5,000 men, counting women and children. You know, there's a, there's a bunch of people. And what do they bring to the table? Five loaves of bread and two fish. That's not going to feed our family of six. Right? But that's okay. Because Jesus doesn't need a chef and a couple kitchens and some, like, he doesn't, he doesn't need a completed product to do what he wants to do. He 
He just needs us to surrender our lives in faithfulness. He'll do the rest. Oh, oh, all you got is five loaves and two fish? Cool, that's fine. That's how I got this. He doesn't need us to come polished and ready before he can use us for his purpose. He's just calling us to faithfully surrender ourselves to him. And when we surrender ourselves to the hands of Jesus, miraculous things happen. The question is, will we surrender our lives to him? And how many times have, have we heard like, oh, when I, when I graduate, like then I'll, then I'll get fully involved. Like then I'll be able to commit to my church and like contribute. Listen, for the college students here, you are called and equipped now to contribute to the kingdom of God in ways that you cannot even fathom. Don't sell yourself short and think like when you graduate, then you'll, you'll find a church and you'll contribute. Like today, Jesus doesn't care how old you are. Jesus doesn't care if you're in high school. He wants us to surrender ourselves today. He'll take care of the rest. And how many times have we heard, like, when I know more, I'll share my faith. Like, I don't, I don't know how to respond to this. I don't know how to answer this question. And so when I know more, then, then I'll share my faith. Man, Jesus doesn't need us to be some scholar. Like, he, he's, he's good. He'll give us the words to say. That's what his word promises us. He doesn't need us to be completed and polished and theologians. He, he's just calling us to be faithful and obedient and trust him with the results. How many times have we said, man, when I'm more settled in my career, like when my, my marriage is settled, man, then, then I'll you know, foster kids or then I'll serve or then, then I'll do more, but I gotta, I gotta get this taken care of first. I'm like, man, it's never gonna be ready. We're never gonna be ready. Jesus is just calling us to surrender as we are. He'll take care of the rest. Oh, I gotta pay off debt and I gotta get the savings to this percentage and then I can, then I can give generously. Right, then I'll finally have my finances how I want them and I can, can give generously. And God's like, man, that's, I'm not asking for a finished product. I'm asking for faithfulness today. He took five loaves of bread and two fish and fed over 5,000 people. He doesn't need us to have the completed product. He just wants us to surrender today as we are and trust that in his hands, he can do far more abundantly than all we can think and ask. Are we gonna trust him? Are we gonna trust him? But then I just, I just wanna note, I just wanna note the conclusion that all ate and were satisfied. And I just, this has been something that God has been just, I really feel opening my eyes to in my heart is that he really is more than we can imagine that there really is a place of abundance in his presence that right now our limited biological brains cannot think of. That when he says he came for us to have abundant life, like more in this life than, than we can think, like here's full, and he's like, no, no, no. <laughs> no, that's just beginning. Right, when we think like, here's the fullness of God, he's like, come on, we're just getting started. I mean, think about it. If we could ever reach the ceiling of the fullness of joy in God's presence, then we've risen to the status of God. Right, if we could ever reach the ceiling, then God is limited in some capacity. 
Therefore, there's always an ever-increasing abundance in his presence for us. Man, we're like, we got five loaves and two fish. Man, okay, we can feed a few people. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. We're not only going to feed everybody. This dude's going home with like three weeks worth of groceries. Right? Like, we got leftovers tomorrow. Because he is this place of abundance. Now, that doesn't mean that our circumstances are always going to be easy. That means the contentment and joy in his presence is far greater than our circumstances. That doesn't mean that, man, if you give 10% of your income, trust me, God's going to multiply that by 200%. No, he may not. But in his presence, by obedience, there's a joy that is greater than any money we can have. Right? And so he invites us into this place of abundant life with him. Gosh, why do we settle? We don't have to. Like, we don't have to, y'all. But it all comes down to where we trust him and surrender our lives fully to him. If we hold back, we're not limiting him, we're limiting ourselves. We're holding back. He's inviting us to so much more, to trust him. Nothing's impossible with him, nothing. And so what do we do with this? Like, does God still, does God still do this today? You know, like, does God... Does God still feed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish? Like, what do you and I do in 2021 with this that was written in 38? No, 38, I don't know, a couple thousand years ago. What do we do with this, right? Is it a good story that we learned as kids, but like, we don't really do anything with? It's, it doesn't change our lives? Does God still call us to do the impossible? Yes. 1,000% yes. For us, God told us to plant a church in a city that isn't so keen on churches, in a time where we would face, you know, relational and personal spiritual conflict right on the front end of a global pandemic, right? Like, it, like the stats of churches making it are really bad, like really bad. Add in these other challenges, like this is impossible. It's impossible for us. It's not, it's not impossible for him though. And so God says, hey, go do something that's not possible, but I, I, can, I can do this. God in Luke 6, 27 is telling you to love your enemies, to actively do good to those who hate you. On my own, that is impossible. I cannot do that. But nothing's impossible with him. He can actually empower us to do good to those who hate us. In Matthew 28, God commands us to go make disciples of all people and all nations. I can't do that. Like, I, I, I'm gonna fail. But with him, it's actually possible for us to share the good news and people to receive it. Just, do we trust him with that? In Colossians 3, He tells us to put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, 
meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. I can't do that. Like that, that, is, that is going to be impossible for me to live up to that standard. So yes, he calls you to do the impossible, but it's because nothing is impossible for him who is in us. And he wants us to learn to depend on him and to trust him. So does he still feed the 5,000? Does he do miracles like this? My complete conviction is yes. I will also admit that there's very little in my life that I have seen that I could attribute purely to the power of God. But I don't think that's on him. I think that's on me and my lack of faith. I think that's on me and my lack of surrender and positioning myself to see what he will do. Because I've heard testimony of the sick healed, of the blind having sight, of miracles happening. And I'm guessing many of you have too. And I'm guessing if you were to say where it happened, it was probably not in this country, is my guess. It was probably in a country where they literally don't have the abundance of resources to depend on themselves. But I think the challenge we have is we have everything that we think we need to do life on our own. And so we don't practice much faith because we just depend on ourselves. I think it's the challenge that we have in expressing an increase of faith is that our, our culture doesn't require us to practice it or have it. So yeah, I do believe that he still does these things. And if we want to see them and encounter them, it's gonna require a radical faith and dependence on him. Regardless, the greatest evidence of the compassion of Jesus mixed with the power to do miracles is the cross and the resurrection. Without the compassion of Jesus, you and I are left on our own to deal with our sin. The Bible says that you and I have chosen to walk away from God. God didn't tell us to leave. He didn't push us away. We chose to go our own way. We chose to be selfish. We chose to say, thanks God, but I'm gonna eat this fruit. I'm gonna do my own thing. So we are the ones that rebelled against him. If, if Jesus isn't filled with compassion, you're on your own. But Jesus in his compassion sees us lost and wandering and broken and in love comes to fix what we broke. And so in compassion, he dies on the cross to suffer the punishment that our sins deserve. The compassion of Jesus. And in his power, three days after he is dead, he rises from the dead and he leaves our sins in the grave with him and he walks out victorious and triumphant. There's no power that the devil has over him. There's no power that death has over him. And when we trust him, 
He takes our sins and he leaves them in the grave and he gives us his new eternal life. The power of the risen Savior is given to us to live with him. And so will he feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish? Maybe. But do I know that he has already died for the sins of well over 5,000 people and rose from the dead so that they can have eternal life, not just a meal for one day? Absolutely. That is his invitation to us. That is what he was trying to teach the disciples to trust. That he will forgive our sins and give us life. That is the greater miracle. So his question is, do you trust him? Do you trust him to make you right with God? And do you trust him in the day to day? to do what he says, to follow him, that his ways are good, that his power and presence is here for us today. Nothing is impossible with this God. Do you believe him? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, will you seal your word in our minds and hearts right now? Will you increase our faith today just by one step today? and another step tomorrow. That we would trust you, that what you say is good, that nothing is impossible for you. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.